Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Stories always have a way of making me emotional, and I'm sure they do you too. And it feels like um, while there's a care system and we need to care for these children, all of that, it does seem awful red tapey, doesn't it? And um, for people who love children and want to care for them. So let's pray for uh, a mending of that system. Um, and it's incredible to hear your story um, again, Nathan and Louise. Um, Dave says Colin and Beverly don't look old enough to be grandparents. Um, well, Colin is my nephew, so that uh, <laughs> I rest my case. Um, uh, so it's so good to be um, with you this morning. So good to be back preaching this morning. We've had a great um, summer series, a great um, time in the Psalms together, and uh, thank you to all who prepped and preached at that time, Dave and Al, Alan and Maureen, Cheryl, Tara, Rick with the Caldwells, on and on I could go. We've had a tremendous summer. It's been amazing listening to the stories and listening to the family spots has been emotional, has been very powerful. And today we finish off with probably one of the, the shorter Psalms. Well, not probably, it is one of the shorter Psalms, Psalm 133. And of course, it's a Psalm of Ascent. Um, which means it was sung going up to the high place. So don't worry, I won't sing it to you. Um, and while it is short, don't let its um, shortness, if that's a word, uh, fool you. It has a very powerful message and it addresses one of the main issues, if not the main issue, I think, in the church today. So let's read it together. It's just three short verses um, and uh, here it goes. How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured down in the head, running down in the beard, running down in Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Herban were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now, Tara pointed out a few weeks ago that um, Jerusalem is a high place. It's a, on a hill, all right? And Jewish people in ancient times made that uh, trip up to the temple in the city of Jerusalem, and literally it was going up. Now, I've had the honor and privilege of going up to Jerusalem. I didn't do it on a donkey. Um, I did it in a bus. But it's the most incredible thing to do. It's the most incredible experience. And if you haven't experienced, you should. We, Maureen and I, are heading again on another trip on the 20th of June um, in 2003. And if you'd like to go on that trip, we've limited spaces, but if you'd like to go on that trip, we would love to take you four or five days in Galilee, around Capernaum, and then up into Jerusalem for the rest of the journey, visiting some of the most incredible places where Jesus was in his final days. 
And um, the city crowns a hill, um, as you can see, and uh, its temple stood on a mount, and it was an exalted place. It was a place to go to worship God. It was a place where, and the Jewish people would sing a song. They would sing these songs of ascent as they climbed the hill to express their joy of coming together um, to worship at the temple with a promise that God would come to meet them. And this psalm imparts blessing and life to God's people, and it proclaims oneness and faith, and these themes and abundance and unity flow from them. I, I didn't actually realize how precious unity is to me until I started to prep this psalm. It was emotional. It was a journey over the last couple of weeks in prepping this, and I began to realize over the last 25 to 30 years, I fought for unity. I fought for unity in the local churches in the town. I fought for unity in the nation with churches and church leaders, trying to make them realize that they're not each other's competition, that there's a world out there and people are going to hell, and there's more competition out there than just somebody else's church. And so unity is a very powerful thing to me. And as the temple in Jerusalem was a high place from the, for the Jewish people, just to see him today, Jesus is the high point of the gospel today. Jesus is the high point of the gospel. The gospel spreads around the world. We no longer need to go to a place to worship. We have got the person to worship. And it's important, local church is really important, and it's important to come together. But I hope this isn't just what your worship is. I hope coming together on a Sunday morning doesn't just spell out what worship means in your life. Worship is every day of the week. And faith in a risen Christ, Christians around the world today stand on this high place that Jesus lived and died and, and was resurrected from the dead and ascended to heaven in a human body. And today, there is a human body. There is a man in the glory, and he's there to plead our cause as our intercessor. And when we stand on that high place today, that's a great place to worship from, all right? And so unity is a, a major theme in, in, in Psalm 133, how how precious it is, how pleasant it is. You can see when God's people, there's a call to God's people. There's a, God, a call to the church nationwide to come together. And it begins with uh, one very particular summit called worship. And then it just cascades down the mountain, out into the streets and out into the um, uh, schools and wherever. And it's lovely to hear Nathan and Louise this morning working with vulnerable people, young and old, because that's what the gospel is. And this psalm, though short, is highly ambitious and it calls God's people to worship God. All right? And um, it starts with a few insiders and then it flows outward in blessing to many. And so this morning, what I want to talk to you about is how to go with the flow. How to go with the flow. You've heard that saying, I'm sure, before. You need to go with the flow. And sometimes we can go against the flow. But the flow of God's word goes down the mountain, out into the, out into the rivers, out into the streets and byways, out into the nations, all right? Now, only liquid can flow. We know that. And so the psalm in classic Hebrew parallelism really gives us two liquids, oil and dew. And first, the text comes from the precious oil on the head. That's verse 2. And this is fragrant, refreshing 
oil used to consecrate a priest. And the priestly intent was clear because the psalm refers to Aaron and what happened, uh, he was part of, the, he was the head of the priestly tribe, the Levite tribe. And of course, Moses in Leviticus 8 verse 12 actually poured oil on Aaron's head and anointed him um, as the head of the priesthood. And though this oil is precious, God is not stingy with it, all right? Indeed, the oil is poured out so lavishly, it runs down the head, it runs down the beard, and it even runs down onto the collars of the robe. And, um, uh, and, and oil, you see, is personal. Oil is personal. It's not going to run any further than that, really. It's going to run down the person. This oil, you see, is for the individual. It's like breathing in. It's like this moment when the oil is poured on where you, you breathe in. This is for me. This is for me. And we can come to church like that. We can come and say, there are those moments, and we need those moments where we come and we worship God. The worship was brilliant this morning. And, and, and we breathe in that worship. It does our souls good. Of course, we're not going to keep it all to ourselves this week. But there are moments that we need to come and allow the oil to pour down upon us where we can breathe in. And of course, priests were not the only one to use oil in this way. The generous host in the New Testament would provide oil for anointing of his guest. We know of Mary who in Luke 7 anointed Jesus for the burial and how the woman brought spices to the tomb. And for Christians, the oil signifies worship and celebration and unity. And God is in the business of bringing faithful people together, a community of saints across time and distance. So it's really important to breathe in. It's really important to come to church. But then the Jew is public. The Jew goes out. The oil goes in, the Jew goes out. All right? And um, the Jew of Hermon is like, is like, the oil's like, <gasps> breathing in, and the Jew is like, <sighs> breathing out. And that's what church should be. We should come and we should breathe in God. We should worship him. We should fill our souls. And then we go out into the highways and the byways and we... <sighs> And we breathe out the Jew. Mount Hermon is far up to the north of Jerusalem, rises above the upper Jordan Valley, and following the conquest by Joshua, it's mentioned where it was given to half the tribe of Manasseh, um, east of the Jordan River. And the thing about Hermon is it has a shower of rain and snow, and um, heavy rainfall, heavy snow, dew all the year round. All right, and the melting snow or dew flowed down into the valley and it fed the Jordan River and it reached as far, where do you hear this? It reaches as far as the aces of Jericho. If any have been in Jericho, Jericho, by the way, is 864 feet below sea level. It's the lowest city in the world. When you go to the Dead Sea, it's the lowest place in the earth and Jericho is on the way down to um, the Dead Sea, 864 feet below sea level, as I say, leaving it at this present time, the lowest city in the world. And in barren country, I tell you, it's barren. I've driven through Jericho. It's barren country where the rain is scarce and the rivers dry up and the land and the people depend on water that comes from a, a distant source. And it is in this scarcity of water in the dry lands that makes Mount Hermon's Jews so precious. While the oil flows down on Aaron's beard and onto his robe, so the Jew of Mount Hermon reaches far beyond its 
point of origin and it gives life to faraway lands. And that's what the gospel does. God's generosity calls people to worship. (gasps) Breathe in. That's what we do. And in worshiping this God of abundant life and love, we become a family of families that begin to touch the nations that the Jew begins to flow out. I see David and Rosemary, and they, they flow out into the nations with SEF, with, the, with child evangelism, touching children all over the world. That's what we do. That's what the gospel does. And before we met Jesus, we thought that maybe life was a, a scarce commodity measured out in years and months and days and hours. Our times are in his hands. But Jesus died and rose again, and he opened up a way to eternal life. We thought that love was reserved for a chosen few, maybe, but never enough to go round. But the word of God calls us forth as a global family of believers. Behold what manner of love, John would say in his first little epistle, that we, that's love that the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And then the, I love the NIV where it adds that little bit, and that's what we are. So we are. We are the children of God. And then in verse 3 of that little psalm, he says, the Lord ordained his blessing life forevermore. He bestows his love upon us and he bestows eternal life upon us. We have much to praise God for this morning. I tell you, in our times of conflict and economic disaster and distress, like Psalm 133 is like pouring water in parched ground, really. People who are divided and estranged from one another need God's call to live together in unity. And for this, Psalm offers us hope and the promise of kinship in Christ, which is so important. And my pipe people suffer scarcity at this moment, everything from food to housing to justice and love. The message God loved us abundantly and holds nothing back is the most precious message on earth. Unity is like the oil of blessing, bringing people together in faith. Unity is like the dew of Mount Hermon flowing out into abundant life. It's pretty incredible. That's the gospel story. So how do we obtain unity? How do we get this unity? A few years ago, I was flying, fly B, out of Belfast to Southampton um, to speak at a conference. And when I got to my seat, um, I could tell the woman in the seat next to me, there weren't the biggest planes in the world, two seats on the other side of the aisle. And um, when I got to um, my seat, I could tell the woman that was sitting in at the window wasn't fully enamored that I was going to be her traveling companion. I'm not dead sure whether it was my size or I'm not dead sure whether I, I definitely had showered that morning. I had no B.O. or anything. But she was definitely not comfortable with me there. And... Um, uh, and it was obvious as I sat down beside her. And when I settled into my seat, she actually shuffled over a little bit and pulled the armrest down between us, making a declaration like it was one of those silent declarations to say, I am uncomfortable with you here. And um, we took off, and I was trying to mind my own business, and we were flying along. And if ever, ever you've had the misfortune of flying in one of those wee boxes, they don't fly much above turbulence. They don't fly great heights. And so they fly in the turbulence. And they're a little bit bumpy. And we were flying along and everything was dead on. And the airplane had a bit of turbulence. And um, 
And it was like one of those turbulent moments where it drops a few hundred feet. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. And you feel like your tummy's in your throat. It's like oh, one of those moments. Well, that's what happened. And this, my, my, my hostile friend, grabbed my leg. <laughs> he literally grabbed my leg like it was like nails in. It was like a cat scrabbing you. And um, she grabbed my leg and I went, oh! And, um, and it was uh, one of those moments, the poor woman was tarif- terrified. And then the, the plane leveled out a little bit and stopped bumping about as much. And we smiled awkwardly at each other. She did let go of my leg, you'd be glad to know. And, um, um, and she was most apologetic. I'm really sorry. She said, I'm really sorry. I'm just not good at flying. And, and I began to realize there was uh, the woman was just scared out of her wits at flying. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. All of a sudden... Two people who started off feeling distanced experienced all of a sudden a sense of oneness. And the gulf between us was bridged by a thing called adversity. And adversity has a strange way of pulling people together. And the rest of the flight, I got her whole life story. She was like my best buddy. We're near holding hands, going to tell Lorraine. But um, uh, it was like one of those things. And the adversity of the air turbulence brought us together to form a bond. Isn't it amazing when you see, the, like, Ukraine, the people of Ukraine, bonding together. Adversity brings you together. We know this in Northern Ireland. We know it through the troubles. It bonds us together. Something that happens, a crisis happens in our life, and it bonds us together. It can do either. It can drive us apart or it can bring us together. But adversity, adversity is an amazing thing. And the world is marked by this disunity these days. Humanity is fractured. It's fragmented. And at times it feels like the very fabric of our society is coming apart at the seams. That's what it feels like at the minute. Has there ever been a time since you've been alive when our country has experienced more division than it has in the last several years? Has there ever been a time when global peace felt more fragile and uncertain? We're living in challenging times. And it is difficult to find unity anywhere. It really is. And this just isn't the case here in the world. It's in the church too. I've heard far too many speakers lately speak about disunity in their local churches. And the need for us to come together and work through our problems was ne- has never been greater. And it's a message we all need to hear. The, the passage we read this morning speaks about the, the unity of the church, God's people, the unity of the church um, since the beginning of time. And we know that disunity... We can go to passages like Genesis 3 and we read about our forefathers, Adam and Eve, and we begin to realize how the conflict was between our first parents, all right? And we're dealing with the effects of the fall right through to this very day. You only go on one more chapter and their two sons, Cain and Abel, um, had a bit of a wrangling and uh, conflict and jealousy came between them so intense that Cain killed his younger brother. So there's this challenge of unity. There's this challenge of unity in the church that we um, seem to be facing today, all right? And what, what I want to say to you is it's always been with us. Many have the mistaken notion that the first century church was a lot more perfect than us. Um, their expression of the church was better than ours. They wistfully think that if we could just get back to the purity of the first century church, then all would be well. However, simple reading of the New Testament letters reveals how messed up and troubled the early church was as well. 
For example, the church at Corinth, they, they fought over what to wear in worship, whether you wear a hat or whether you don't. They, 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 they argued about how to celebrate communion. They, and their leaders were lax on morals. The church at Ephesus lost her first love. The church in Laodicea was lukewarm. The church in Thyatira allowed idolatry to go unchecked. And the church back then, can I say, was just as messed up and divided as the churches are today. And we need the help of the Lord to pursue the kind of unity that he desires in his body. And when we do all this, we realize that the church isn't a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. It's a place where we come with our brokenness. It's a place where we come with our frailties and our weaknesses and we present them to our Father. All of us are broken. All of us struggle in different areas and to get along in love and unity and relationship with others takes a bit of work. And we need to acknowledge that. It was true in the early church and it's true in our church today. The, the good news is God has given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us the Holy Spirit who can bring transformation and healing. That's why the Bible calls him the helper. He's the helper. He, he also has given us the body of Christ, the people sitting around you to hold us accountable. That's why life groups are so important to help facilitate reconciliation wherever possible. We had a life group barbecue on Friday night and it was great fun and it was great food. And in the New Testament, the church is described uh, among other things as the household of God the bride of Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that actually there are, let me get this right, we're told there are 96 different word pictures of the Bible in the, of the church in the New Testament. 96 different word pictures that have been identified as, in the Bible as images of the church. But the one that dominates the New Testament is this one. It dominates the New Testament, and I love it. The body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Do you ever see a body without a head? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the body. We are the body, and we're controlled by the head. When I move my arm, it's controlled by my brain. When I move my foot, it's controlled by my brain. So the head controls the body. And just as human bodies aren't made up of one member, but many, the body of Christ has all of this diversity that works together in its unity. In addition, the human body requires the various members to be interdependent in order for the body to function well, not independent. If you have an arm out here and it's not connected to the body, it's not going to work. All right, they're interdependent. They all work together. Our bodies work together. Each of us in the body of Christ needs to work together to achieve the full expression of what God has in mind for the church and the world. Have you ever had an arm fall asleep? I had a friend told me that he, he woke up or he was laying almost half asleep one night and somebody hit him in the face. And, and, and then he said he turned over to see what was going on and hit him in the face again. He realized his arm had fallen asleep and he was slapping himself in the face. And, um, and that's what happens sometimes. The church can be like that. Instead of working together, it can start to beat, beat each other up. And sometimes the human body turns in on itself. And the result is that many people, some people develop cancer and immune systems attack healthy organs and the body goes to war against itself. And it's a great tragedy when it happens in our physical bodies, but it's an equal tragedy when it happens in the body of Christ. 
We're supposed to work together for mutual support and cooperation rather than waging war against one another. And the body is at its best when it comes together. The body is at its best when it comes together. Have you ever noticed how um, uh, interdependent and unified your body really is when it's working properly? It's really, really good, all right? Both when you encounter adversity, when you encounter pain, and when you encounter joy. The body works together. For example, hit your thumb with a hammer. I don't know if you've ever done that. I have. And if you hit your thumb with a hammer, it isn't long before all the member of your body starts to get immobilized in the pain. All right? Your eyes get big for a start. And then your, your mouth lets out, oh, a moan. Your heart starts to pump blood to the injured thumb. And your feet start to jump up and down like this. It's amazing how your body works together when you're in pain, isn't it? And, and the whole body rallies around the injured thumb. But it's the same in joy. It's the same when, you're, when things are going good. Like, like, for example, the next time you eat ice cream, think about your, how your body reacts, all right? Like you take the first bite of that magnum. That's my favorite, by the way. The magnum, and your eyes close. Ah. And then you, you start making moans. You start going, oh, that tastes so good. That tastes so good. And, and then sometimes what happens, you're, you break into that happy little dance. Any you ever watched Dave eat food? <laughs> Dave, Dave, just, Dave gets into a joyful position when he eats food. And, um, and, and you and I are different from one another, all right? We're broken people who struggle to get it right, all right? But probably the only thing that you have in common with the person sitting beside you is that neither of you deserve to be here. Everything we've been given is through the grace of God. None of us deserve it. And, and, and the thing about it is God has come into our lives and each of us now have a story to tell which knits our hearts together so that we belong to Christ, not because we're alike, and not because we agree, the church is at its best when it works together, and the thumb by itself loses the power of the hand. And so we, we come together. And diversity is a wonderful thing. Diversity means, there, I say this, you've heard me say this before, there's nothing more diverse than a man and a woman, but usually they can get along okay. Not right? Not right, Tony? Um, um, we can get along all right, can't we? With, with our... With our we can, Tony. And, and there's something about diversity that brings beautiful. I say this to our, our church leaders. We, our diversity is, is our strength because there's something so powerful about it. So let's always maintain a vision for unity. And I have to finish, all right? Let me tell you this story as we bring it to a conclusion. 1963, I was just a, a small boy. Um, they gathered in buses and cars and in church vans in, the, in America. They packed lunches and cool boxes. They scraped their resources together and they went to the mall in um, Washington, D.C. Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King had issued a call to the nation's capital to lift their voices and declare a vision for equality and justice and everyone in the country, regardless of the color of their skin. And they came from all parts of the country. And when they got there, they put on little buttons. They wore T-shirts that were passed out. They locked arms and they sang songs as they marched together, wishing for a day of hope. It was a long day. And there were many people who spoke from the steps that day of the Lincoln Memorial. But the, the culminating moment was when 
the, in that poor people's march was when Dr. King took the platform, and this is when he gave his famous I have a dream speech. The thing that I didn't know about this, he hadn't planned it. It wasn't planned, it wasn't in his notes. And um, historians tell us that it wasn't part of a speech about the, that day, and because he knew he was going to be speaking to dignitaries and stuff, and he, had, and he had prepared this sort of manuscript that he thought about how he could convince the people about the why of civil rights. And he's a brilliant communicator, did a masterful job weaving together sacred and cultural texts, and he took scriptures, he took the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and he wove them together to offer this vision of why civil rights should matter to everyone. And um, as Dr. King concluded his remarks that day, the gospel singer, Mahela Jackson, called out to him. Perhaps she could tell maybe that his message hadn't got the desired effect. Maybe she thought it needed a stronger ending. I don't know. But she shouted out, tell them about the dream, Martin. Tell them about the dream. And um, she had heard King speak on many different occasions because she sang at his rallies. And she knew of the dream, which he had spoken before many times. And so King started to speak from memory about the dream. And he said, I have a dream today. You need to remember now that King wasn't celebrated back in that day like he is today. Both black and white communities thought he was divisive. And so he didn't have a big fan club. And uh, I think we all resonated with the dream, but didn't we? And I think the reason is because deep in our souls, we all have the same desire for unity that he had. Dr. King painted the picture of a vision of a nation that future generations of children would all come together, be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And King would be the first one to tell you that it wasn't his vision, that it was God's vision. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Why? Because you come to the house of God, because you pray together because you sing lovely songs, because you preach the word. No. When you love one another. When you love one another. That's the key. The Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It tells us that every tongue and tribe and nation will come together and they'll sing this around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and power and praise. Here's the thing, folks, as we finish off. Scripture portrays a vision of reconciliation in heaven. And it's our job, and it's the vision of the church, and it's supposed to, but we work toward this with all our might while we're here on earth, that we stay together. It's always been the challenge in the church. And we've got an enemy who seeks to divide, and he's a thief, and he steals, and he kills, and destroys. But here, our diversity and our opinions may differ, but, and, and sometimes they, they create an opportunity to fight but they can also serve us as an invitation to unite and seek reconciliation wherever we become. We have 11 elders, 12 elders. We don't agree in the second coming of Christ, but we've agreed to disagree. There's a bit of diversity, but it's fun. It's actually really good fun because I don't need them to have my opinion. They don't need me um, to have their opinion. I've got all mixed up there, but you know what I mean. And... Uh, so it's, it, diversity is a beautiful thing. And when we start to respect one another's opinions, something very powerful happens. Paul said this, as far as it's possible, 
as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is an admission that some people won't be willing to be at peace with us, won't be possible, and that's okay. But insofar as it can, insofar as we can, let's make sure we seek peace today. And maybe God's laying somebody in your heart right now, somebody that maybe you just need to make peace with. And what I'd say to you this morning is just go with the flow. Go with the flow. If you're doing the devotions at the moment, this morning with Psalm 92, and in verse 10, it talks about fine oil has been poured over me. I love that verse. Fine oil has been poured over you this morning as we've worshipped in here this morning, as we've celebrated the word. It's... The oil of God flows over us. But it's not for us. The Jew of heaven then, as you leave this building today and you go out into Monday, you breathe out. And the Jew of heaven runs out into your workplace, runs out into your schools, runs out into your family and starts to touch those around you. May you breathe in today and may you breathe out. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this incredible psalm that calls us to unity, not to attack each other, but to admire each other, not just to agree with one another, but sometimes we, we love how in the, old, in, in the New Testament, the old rabbis would, would, would argue the scriptures, they would argue around, not to fall out, but just to find the content of God, of what's really going on. And so God, I pray this morning that unity will come and invade this place, invade every home. Lord, if there's conflict in a family today, if there's conflict in a marriage today, Lord, may it be unified there's conflict today with a sibling, may it be unified. If there's conflict today with a wayward child, may it be unified today. May the oil of heaven pour upon our heads today. And may the dew of heaven run from our character and run from our being like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this morning. Enjoy your tea and coffee, and um, we'll see you soon. I'm back preaching next Sunday, so we'll start a new theme next Sunday. So God bless you, and um, see you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.